You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, I'd like to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. And I, I do that every, every Sunday still. I, I say, I know we provide scriptures on the screen, but I just say it because I know that it's still important to have a Bible or to have a phone or some kind of way to take notes. I just encourage you to do that. You know, coming up on 30 years, you think about a lot of things. For instance, you think about how you used to say on the 10th year anniversary, man, I'm looking forward to the next 10. Or on the 15th, man, I can't wait to see what God's going to do on the next 15. When it gets to 30, you're like, that line is not allowed anymore, right? Can you imagine me standing up here and saying, you know, hey, I'm ready for the next 30. You know, it just seems like that is so far now into the future that I could hardly imagine, uh, number one, pastoring at the age of 87, but even, even thinking 30 years from now. But I do know this, that, that God is working in a very unusual way in my heart this morning and these past several weeks. What I want to do is go back and connect you to a text that I preached on for an entire month. And I want to take a moment, five minutes, to review, because in reviewing it, it's going to give me a chance to jump on to the truth this morning that the Lord has very delicately, and when I say delicately, you'll understand in a moment why I'm saying that. Because without question, the one who has needed this message the most is the deliverer of the message. Do you know how they say you should practice what you preach? Some say it's better said to preach what you practice. Well, this morning, I want to confess that I don't think I'm doing either one of those very well when it comes to this subject. But I do believe that all of us might agree that if we can come to the, to the realization of this truth this morning, it could change the next 30 years, 10 years, 3 years. In fact, it could change us even beginning today. We've been talking about, in the month of March, a commitment to having a biblical community that God calls the church. What does that look like? How can we look to the early church in the book of Acts and, and study that church to the point where we can say, you know what, the things that they did are the things that we need to do. And so first of all, we said this in a quick five-minute review, that the early church had an immovable commitment to the truth. Why did they have a commitment to the truth? Because God is committed to the truth. In fact, in Deuteronomy 32 verse 4, it says that our God is a God of truth and without injustice. He never lies. He always speaks only the truth. And if we're going to be like our Father, we need to be committed to the truth. In fact, in the early church, it says in Acts 2.42 that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. In other words, the apostles' doctrine is the Bible. That's what they taught. They taught the Bible, the Old Testament, the Gospels, the actual epistles that they were writing. The early church members had a commitment to the truth that was incredible. It was totally non-compromising. They were completely focused on the Word of God. Absolutely a lack of human opinion. Only what does God's Word say? In other words, sometimes when we say, what do you think? the response might need to be very respectfully, you know, maybe it doesn't matter what we think, but rather, what does God say? They were committed to the truth. You know, sometimes when we say that, uh, we wonder, is that too harsh? Where's the love? 
I mean, come on, preacher, where's the love in all of that? And I want you to know that I agree. God is a God of love. But the primary building block of biblical relationships is not love. It is truth. We need love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 6 defines love like this. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Because a loving relationship is built on a foundation of truth. Yes, God is a God of love, but all love and no truth is hypocrisy, and all truth in no love is brutality. We need both. But the foundation is truth. What I'm preaching this morning, the truth of the Word of God. Number two, the second thing we said was this, that we need to be and have an incredible heart for people. An incredible heart for people. You see that in the early church. In fact, we took the word fellowship out of Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. And and we said this about that word fellowship, that literally the summary statement for that is this, we need an incredible love for people. We share life together in the church. We, we do things together. We study the Word of God together. We share the joys of life together. We share the sorrows of life together. When we hear that, you know, there's a, a friend of Butch's who is in dire need of, of a miracle or two young men on a baseball field that collided and all of our team witnessed one of that horrific accident, we feel that. We feel that. We, we want to know, how can I pray? What's going on? We have an intense love for people. This was a characteristic of the early church. Early church, in the early church, they got together, and they spent time together. They lived life together. Number three, we studied this together. We said that we need to have an intense love for Jesus. In fact, in the early church, we saw that in the breaking of bread. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says that they broke bread and they prayed. The early church got together, and almost every time they got together, they had communion and they prayed. And, when they, and they did that as a way to, to love Jesus. How special was it for us to get together a week or two ago and break bread together and remember the death of our Lord Jesus and remember the blood that he shed on the cross to save us from our sins and you get so wrapped up in loving Jesus in those moments as we remember what he did for us it's almost overwhelming and oftentimes when we pray we have an opportunity to talk to God on a personal intimate level And we begin to love him like we should love him. And that's what the worship songs were all about this morning. How much we love him. How much we adore him. I wrote down just a few words of the songs we sang five minutes ago. There's nothing better than you. Jesus, there's nothing better than you. We sang he's my joy. He's my righteousness. He's my freedom. He's my steadfast love. My deep and boundless peace. And to him I hold. My hope is only Jesus. For my hope is wholly bound to him. We confessed that together a moment ago. And then we sang, I'm caught up in your presence. I, I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. I, I never want to leave. We, we said, God, I'm sorry when I get caught up in my own agenda. Father, I don't, want to, I don't want this to stop this love relationship that I have with you. Those are the moments in our worship service where we are able to really express an intense love for Jesus. And then thirdly, fourthly, we discovered and, and, and talked about the fact that we need to be committed to give generously. 
In fact, our God says, uh, the, the Word of God says in John 3, 16, that, that God so loved the world that, that he gave. It's an inherent character of God that he loves us so much that he gave. He gave his only son. And so we studied in Scripture together, verse 44 and 45, that they were all together and they had all things in common. They were unselfish. They gave generously, not just to their own needs, but to the needs of others. It goes on to say that they were selling their possessions and and their belongings, and they were distributing those proceeds to everyone who had need. They were concerned about giving and giving generously. And I'm thankful for the generous giving at our church. And today, we're going to spend the rest of our time on the last two verses of that text, which I didn't get to. And to be honest, these, these next two verses and the thought that I'm going to bring to your attention today is probably the one that has convicted me personally the most. And so look with me, if you would, at the text. It describes the lifestyle of the early church like this. It says, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and with simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Wow. That is a biblical lifestyle. This is what they all were doing every day. Check out some of those words. Just look back at the screen. Continuing daily with one accord. Breaking bread from house to house. They did all these things together. They ate their food. They actually had good times with one another. They they were glad to get together and eat together. And the Bible says also they were very simple. There was a simplicity of heart involved in what they did. And so notice this about the text. That clearly God's family lives a simple lifestyle. God's family lives a simple lifestyle. And I confess this morning to you that if you're supposed to practice what you preach, then this morning I might be falling somewhat short of that as I believe all of us this morning desire to understand what it would be to live a much simpler life. What would it be like if this church... And and churches in general looked more like verse 46 and verse 47. And so this morning, I want to make it personal to me, but also pray that what I share with you in the overflow will run over into your cup as well. And that all of us can identify this morning, what is it that's complicating our lives and pushing out the most important things? So let's define simplicity for just a moment. What is simplicity? Let's define it. First of all, simplicity is freedom from acting and seeking to be other than I really am. Simplicity is life reduced to what is necessary and essential. Let that sink in. Simplicity is life reduced to what is necessary. Living life involved with only those things that are necessary and essential And therefore, meaningful. Because the most meaningful things in life are the most necessary and essential things in life. That's simplicity. Simplicity is a contentment 
with what really matters. I believe, church, this is a life we all long for. Amen. I mean, as I'm speaking, as I'm preaching this morning, I'm over, and I realize I've already preached this message at 9 o'clock and here again at 1045, but I can tell you it is even more meaningful to me this morning after having preached it already because I realize how important it is, a life of simplicity. A month ago, I was challenged to read a a short essay written over 100 years ago by a a Russian uh, writer by the name of Anton Chekhov. Anybody ever heard of, I had one person in the first service that had heard of Anton Chekhov. Anybody heard of him in the, in the, in the service? Interesting, he was the most famous, they say, uh, writer in, 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 in that era of writers, and he wrote many short essays. And so, they asked me to read the short, it took about 20 minutes, it's called, and you might want to read it this week. I'm not going to read it, I'll be honest, I wanted to, but I did, it was just too long. 20 minutes is too long to take in a service, but not too long for you to download. It's called The Bet, B-E-T. Here's the little story on it. Here's how it affected my message this morning. The bet is a short story about a bet made between a banker and a lawyer. During a dinner party in November of 1870, a wealthy banker claims that capital punishment is more humane than life imprisonment. The younger lawyer counters that to live under any circumstances better than death. The two debate and they make a bet. If the lawyer can live in solitary confinement, the banker will give him two million rubles. The lawyer agrees to stay isolated in a lodge in the banker's garden for 15 years. Over the course of those 15 years, the lawyer fervently reads and studies. In the meantime, the banker's wealth begins to dwindle, and he must make a rash decision in order to save his money. Characteristic of his stories and plays, Chekhov ends the story On an ambiguous note, as the lawyer emerges from his confinement with a new understanding of the world and a complete rejection of materialism. Now, what's stunning about the story is this. First of all, I'm not suggesting that we live in solitary confinement by any means. That's not the goal of this message or of you reading that little short essay. But what you might find is what I found and what I developed as we continue to preach through this message is that, you know, sometimes the word solitary and the fact that sometimes we set ourselves apart from the busyness of this world and find ourselves in a place with much more contentment and focus on what really matters. And you see in that story the lawyer coming out of it with a new appreciation for the things that really matter in life and not for some of the things that distract us from simplicity. A life of simplicity is where all of the extras and all of the additions that complicate us and grieve us as we go through this world are taken away. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. I just want you and nothing else. When we seek first, think about the singularity of that thought. Seek first God. And then, randomly, almost just supernaturally, without any effort, just when we seek God first, all these things are added to us. The simplicity of life is wanting and seeking only one thing. Jesus. Jesus. And so this morning, I want to give you two simple points 
I want to be really simple since I'm preaching on simplicity. First of all, I want to present to you this thought. What is the need of simplicity? Is there a real need for it? Is there a, a, a real need in our church, in our personal lives for simplicity? Well, to do that, I want to give you some enemies of simplicity. These are things that come against simplicity. These are things that put a wall up against simplicity and, and the busyness of life. And so I want to give you these five things quickly this morning and then get to the meat of the message where the text supports the thought. Number one, the first enemy of simplicity is information. Now think with me for just a moment. There is more new information in our day than ever before. New learning, new books, new things. In fact, more new information from 1960 to 2022 in all of human history. The total amount of information in our world doubles every four years. Now, just think about that. The total amount of information in our world doubles every four years. We have computers that think for us. The amount of information that is screaming and shouting and pleading to be read and known and learned and understood is incredibly debilitating to truly living a simple life, a fulfilling life. I mean, even in the past couple of months, I've had so many uh, wonderful books recommended to me and given to me and bought for me and Amazon gifted to me. And so if you walk into my room right now, you'll notice on my bedside table a stack of books. It's about 25 and counting. In fact, now it's like, jump up to put the next one up there, you know. And so, and I, I know there's so much good in those books, and I want to read those books. There's so much information. Shouting, learn me, read me, study me. Enemy number two, entertainment. The passion for entertainment in our day is obvious. I mean, it needs little documentation. Think about it with me for just a moment. Movies and TV and social media and the internet. And, and I mean, just my own grandkids. I, I see my precious little grandkids play with something for a minute and say, I'm bored. What can we do now? Or here's, here's one I hear often. I want to have fun. This isn't fun, right? And it seems as if even though they're small and, and we're older, we're the same way. We get bored so easily. We want to go on to the next thing. In Las Vegas, there are 150,000 hotel rooms. In fact, they say if they continue to add hotel rooms at the rate they're adding them now in Las Vegas, that by 2074, everybody in the United States of America can go, go to Las Vegas at the same time. Entertainment. We are amusing ourselves to death and what it does is it makes simplicity so difficult to achieve amusement entertainment here's the third thing kids schedules hey moms you with me i mean i have had conversations in the past month with about three moms that have been you remember that old commercial cow go take me away you know I mean, preach, I just, it's so crazy. I've got, I've got to go here. By the time I've got to be there, I've got to be over here. I've got to be at two places at the same time. It's just crazy. And we're running around trying to make sure that, you know, the parents, uh, the sports and the school and the dance lessons and the sports lessons and the church activities and the music lessons and all of it. We just want to make sure that we, we get it all in. And so we find ourselves barely grabbing something at the fast food restaurant and going to the next thing. Number four fourth enemy of simplicity, the phone. I hate the 
I do. I love you. I love you. I love talking to you on the phone. I'd rather talk to you in person. I really would. And I'm, I, 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 love, I love talking in person so much more than I do all this texting and phone calling. It's necessary evil. I get it. But I'm going to tell you this morning that there's one word about the phone that I think resounds more than any other word, and that is this. It's the great interrupter. In fact, think about that word with me, interruptions. They destroy a life of genuine contentment and simplicity. I think interruptions are driving most people crazy, whether it's emails or text messages or phone calls or voice messages or voicemail or Facebook messaging. Need I go on and on and on? Because I could. So many different things that, that, that scream for our attention, so many interruptions in life. And the phone seems to lead the way. Number five, the fifth enemy of simplicity is money. Just money. I mean, listen, we buy too much, we save too much, we spend too much, we worry too much, we work too hard to get too much. Never have Americans had so much and yet been so miserable with what they have. Someone has said, we spend our time buying things we don't need to impress people we don't like. And so the truth is, simplicity is very hard to achieve with all of these enemies of simplicity. And our lives have become so complex and so complicated that it's really difficult to live a simple life like they did in the early church. And so if I have presented the need for simplicity, if you're convinced like I'm convinced that, yeah, preacher, wow, that's all true. That does seem to be, yeah, that's, that's my life. Yeah, that, that, that has a lot to do with how things are going for me. I know that's my testimony. Then let's get a plan for simplicity. And so I want to go to the text. And very simply, in the simple text of this early church that was growing and flourishing, where God was doing amazing things, I want you to notice with me a life of simplicity spelled out in five different ways. First of all, notice this characteristic of simplicity in Acts chapter 2, verse 46. That's my first thought. Notice it. It says, and day by day. Day by day. In fact, oftentimes, you see this in Scripture, and day by day. In other words, number one, here's the first characteristic of simplicity, live one day at a time. So live one day at a time. This is so biblical. This is so much what Scripture teaches all throughout the Bible. This is how we're supposed to live our lives. Not three days, not five days, not a week, not a year in advance. One day at a time. The scripture is so clear in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about what? Tomorrow. And then Paul taught this in Philippians chapter 3 verse 13. He said, forgetting those things which lie behind. The fact is, if I'm not thinking about what happens tomorrow, and I'm not thinking what happened yesterday, then what am I thinking about? Today. That's what I'm supposed to be thinking about. I'm not supposed to boast myself about tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I do know this, that I have been given the gift of today. And I've always known this. When I was a young teenager, I wrote a little silly song that nobody knows it but me and my wife. It goes like this. It's as silly, as corny as you could ever write a song. Today is such a special day, a special day indeed. A day to learn something new, to meet or fill a need. To walk with God and talk with him brings happiness to man. So walk the straight and narrow path by holding to his hand. For it's today, 
It's today. So don't worry what tomorrow may bring. It's today. It's today. Just rejoice in the Lord and shout out and sing. I used to sing that every day. I'd wake up in the mornings and I'd sing that song. Today is such a special day. Today is the day that I'm supposed to live my life to its fullest, not knowing what tomorrow holds and not worrying about what yesterday, what happened yesterday, but live today. Joshua said in Joshua 24 and verse 15, choose you this day whom you will serve. Psalm chapter 95 and verse 7 says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Scripture says over and over again what 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, that today is the day of salvation. Church, we make our choices today. And in the early church, they had such a simple life. And day by day. I was reading some book titles about being too busy. Here's, you can buy a whole book about too busy to pray. Too busy to eat right. Too busy to cook. Too busy to read. Too busy for bedtime. Here's one. Too busy for golf. (laughs) Whole book on it. It's just written in the last few years. Books about being too busy. I grew up in a Christianity that was all about being busy. In fact, you bragged about being busy. The busier you were, the more spiritual you were. And if you had no time for your family, you know, that's, that's a good thing. I mean, yeah, that guy's just serving God. He's going he's gonna to die in his boots. Just, man, listen, he may lose his family, but he's going he's gonna to be busy. I remember calling my, my pastor when I was 21 years of age. I, I needed some advice. I really needed some advice, and it was life advice. I mean, it was serious stuff. I needed it desperately. So I called the church office at the church I was attending, and I asked the secretary if I could have an appointment with the pastor. I said, really, I need to talk to him. I know he's busy. It's like you say that about me. I always hate to hear those words. I know they're true, and I don't want them to be true like that, though. I said, I know he's busy, but I just really need to talk with him. And she said, without stutter, stammer, without, I mean, she didn't say it. She didn't even say, I'm sorry. She said, okay, yes, yeah, sure. You, let's see here. It looks like it'll be, it was like, I think I called him in September. She said, it'll be February, like four months. You'll need to be here at 10 o'clock. I'll give you one hour with the pastor, four months from now. I said, okay. I showed up four months after the phone call. I had my one-hour meeting with him. I got advice that by then it was probably too late. (laughs) I needed it four months before then. But I remember as a 21-year-old young, I'll just call myself at the time a, a preacher boy, if you will. I remember thinking, God, help me to live a more simpler life than this. If this is ministry, if if it's too busy for people. If it's too busy for what matters most, people, those are who Christ died for. That who is, that's what the church is all about. Not programs, not how busy we can get. We've got so many things here, and we're blessed with a school and a college and a coffee shop and all of these things. But can I tell you, nothing is more important than you and, and I spending time together and loving one another and serving one another and helping one another and praying with one another. That's what the church is all about. 
And this is what I'm beginning to realize. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? You've been here 30 years and you're just realizing this? No, I'm re-realizing it. I'm re-realizing it. I mean, these, these are things I knew, but would you not admit that oftentimes we can get away from that which we know in marriage, in our finances, and even in our Christianity? Words like silence and solitude. And in simplicity, those are words, they're like dinosaurs in the English language these days. Those words don't seem to exist anymore. And yet they're biblical words that lead to righteousness and fulfillment. I mean, think about those words for just a moment. Meditate on those words. Simply think about the word silence. Think about the word Solitude. What does it mean to be in solitude? Think about the word simplicity. Living one day at a time. Secondly, the second characteristic of a church that is living a simple life is this. Stay right with God's people. I'm going to tell you, church, one thing I've learned in 30 years of pastoring is conflict leads to complexity. Conflict leads to complexity. Conflict just makes matters worse. If it's not taken care of, it adds more work, more relationships are strained. It spreads like a cancer. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, notice how they lived in the early church. Notice this. In the early church, they continued daily with one accord. Now, that word one accord there very simply means, literally means, with one mind. That's what it means, literally. They lived in one accord. They lived in one mind. Now, maybe you're thinking this. Well, what does that mean? Do we all have to be robots and clones? And do we all have to agree on everything? No, we do not. They did not agree on everything. In fact, they were were not clones. They had their own opinions. Some of them were extroverts and some of them were introverts. Some of them were A-type personalities, like a pastor. And some of those were maybe shy and more in the background. They were different. Some were loud, some were quiet, just like we have different people at Gospel, all kinds of people at Gospel Light. But here's the thing, and please listen, they were all on the same page. They were all on the same page. They had one reason for living. They had one focal point for living and for being together, and that was this, to serve and love and live for Jesus Christ. They were on the same page when it came to that. Every financial decision we make is for Jesus Christ. Every time decision, every time decision we make is for Jesus Christ. They had problems with each other. They did. They had disagreements. But guess what they did when they had a problem? They resolved it. They resolved it. They they got together. They worked it out. They went to the person and said, hey, I've got a little issue. Could could we talk about it? Could we get coffee together? Could Could we spend time together and just work this out? Because conflict leads to complexity. I've often said at our church there's three ways to to kind of deal with conflict. First of all, if you can, let it roll off your back. Everybody has a bad day. Amen. I'm always concerned at somebody that says, I'll never go back to that restaurant. Why? Well, because the toast was cold. 
I'm like, was that the first time? Yeah, it's usually great, but that time it wasn't. I'm just done with that place. I'm like, okay, well, maybe they, maybe they just had a bad day, short-staffed or something. And we sort of write people off, and I think we do the same thing with people. As opposed to, first of all, maybe deciding, wait a minute, time out. Is this something that I need to make a big deal of? Could I let this just roll off my back? And so I try, right? And that's the first, and most of the time I can. I think you can if you try to just let it roll off your back and, and realize that everybody may have a bad day and it's not indicative of maybe their true character. And, but if I can't do that, give that two or three days. If it's still bothering me, then I need to take it to the Lord in prayer. God, I'm struggling. I mean, I'm having a hard time right now, and I just, you know, I'm just struggling. Jim's just, you know, he, he offended me, and I, I, I just, man, I'm trying to get over it. Lord, would you help me? I can't seem to get over it. And so, Jim, I give it two or three weeks. And usually by then, the Lord helps me with it, and I'm done. I'm fine, and I realize, God, you've forgiven me of so much, I can forgive Jim, you know. And, and by the way, Jim, I have no problem with Jim, okay? <laughs> Jim's thinking, oh, man. <laughs> What have I done? Now, thirdly, if I can't, if I can't get it, if I can't, it doesn't roll off my back, and it, if praying about it doesn't do the trick, then guess what I need to do? Exactly what the Scripture says. Go to the person. Go to the person directly. And most of the time, one and two takes care of it. But every now and then, I need to do number three. And go directly to that person and say, brother, I have tried to let this just go roll off my back. And I've even been praying about it for two or three weeks. And it's still bothering me. Could we talk about something that happened that I'm concerned? Just, it's just, ah, I just need to get over this. I want to resolve it. Because I want to be in one accord. This is what the early church understood. And I believe one of the things that drains the simplicity out of life is not being right with people. It drains the simplicity out of life, and it replaces it with agitation and anxiousness and disturbance and all of these things that seem to cause the church to be not unified. Work it out with your brothers and sisters. Five characteristics of simplicity. Number three, choosing simple pleasures. Choosing simple pleasures. Pleasures. Look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 46. This is what it says here. Simple pleasures. Look at it. Just read this verse and think about choosing simple pleasures. Breaking bread. Now, sometimes, what do we say today? Normally, if I'm asking Jeremy out to eat, I might not say, hey, Jeremy, let's go break bread together. I might do that. But I might say, hey, Jeremy, let's go get a, let's go get a bite to eat. Just, hey, you got some time? And then... They did it from house to house. Sounds like they did it regularly. They just hung out. Maybe, maybe a little Monday night football. Maybe, maybe a little playoff basketball. You could tell I'm a guy, right? <laughs> the girls are like, what about the, what's that? No, you, what's your mom watch? She likes uh, Hallmark. Yes. Mr. Sheeta loves Hallmark. Maybe a Hallmark movie, you know. House to, they ate their food. Hey, they ate together. They ate their, their food with gladness. Isn't food make you glad? Anybody ever just, how many of you just enjoy eating food? Amen? Food is just a happy thing, right? And then they were simple. They just did it with simplicity of heart. No agenda. They weren't trying to one-up anybody. It didn't matter who picked up the tab. It was just a simple pleasure in life. 
I believe that we're spending too much time complicating our lives by buying more things. And by the time we get the boat that we've always wanted and the house on the lake we've always wanted, nothing wrong with these things, but by the time we fill up our credit cards with debt that we can't afford and pleasures that we can't afford, that it drains us of the things that really matter. Thinking that these things are really what we need and then realizing that at the end of our lives, what we're going to be remembered for is not the big boat, the big house, and all the things that we were able to accumulate, but it's going to be the time that we spent with one another. It's going to be the breaking bread together and going from house to house and just enjoying the simple pleasures of life. So what are these simple pleasures? Can I suggest five? Number one, a family meal together. A family meal together. You say, well, we do that. We take, you know, we we eat together. Do you take time to enjoy one another when you're eating together? Little statements like Chloe asked me last night when we sat down to eat. She said, Dad, so how was your day? Start from the beginning and end right now. And so I did. I start from the beginning, you know, woke up. And let's see, I had a cup of coffee, and then I went to the retirement center, and I spoke there, and I go through my whole, it takes about five or ten minutes, you know. My food got a little cold, but I had a blast, and she was like, that's cool, Dad. Oh, that's good, Dad. What happened there, and how'd that go, and that's neat. And and then, well, how was your day, Chloe? And that little meal that I could have consumed in 3.2 seconds, or no, three minutes and two seconds, 3.2 seconds, it could have been over. How many of you ladies have husbands that can eat fast? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. That meal turned into a 20-minute meal of just enjoyment and fellowship and not going anywhere, just having a good time. How was your day? A family meal. I think this is a characteristic of the early church living a simple life. Number two, a drive in the car. A drive in the car. You say, Pastor, are you serious? This is a Sunday morning sermon? A drive in the car is one of our points. This is, one of, this is one of the deepest sermons you've ever heard, church. I'm telling you, if we could get back to knowing the joy of just taking a drive with a loved one, going up to the mountain and just talking about, hey, how are you doing, honey? Talking about your marriage and then praying over your marriage on, uh, with a beautiful scene of the city. I got in the car the other day, took a drive with Laney and and it was raining, and, 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 and she said, Papa, I think I know where rain comes from. Serious as you could. I said, Laney, where do you think? She goes, I think the angels are crying. Isn't that beautiful? We talked about rain 10, 20 minutes. This week, Jared, he's not a member yet. Him and his wife have been visiting for about five or six weeks. But Jared called me up and said, hey, preacher, I, I got some questions I want to ask you. Man, I was busy. That word has been driving me crazy over the last five weeks since I've been working on this thing. And I thought, I want to tell Jared I'm busy, but I, then I thought, I've got to go somewhere, and it's going to take me 30 minutes to get there, and I'm going by myself. Hey, Jared, can you meet me at the church and take a drive with me? Jared comes to the church, meets me in the parking lot. We talk 30 minutes there, 30 minutes back, one hour. He gets out of the car and says, Preacher, thank you, man. This is awesome. I loved it. Great time. I got all my questions answered. I'm ready to go. And praise God. I did that just with a drive in the car. My wife loves drives in the car. That's why Little Rock's so cool. Isn't it great to have a big city one hour away? 
It's just far enough to where, you know, you don't have to take too much time. But an hour there and an hour back and maybe a nice restaurant or maybe stay the night in a, in a reasonable hotel and just enjoy some time away. And, and just there's something about that that is it's just the simple things in life. My daughter, Glow, loves to drive. I took Glow out for a drive yesterday. In fact, I, I was gone quite a long time, and they said, where, where, where did you go? You were gone a while. I'm like, hey, Glow, she's fun to talk to. You could tell Glow all of your problems, and she won't tell anybody. <laughs> you just talk to her, complain, cry out, tell her. She just sits back there and goes, hmm, huh, no, okay, hmm. And you get out of the car, and she just zip lips. She won't tell anybody. I love it. Number three, how about an evening alone with a book and coffee? Just an evening alone. Just, just, you say, I can't imagine. Just, I've got to do something. This is doing something. This is actually doing something. It's, the something is this, alone, book, coffee. I know, it drives me crazy too, but I need to do more of it. Number four. A long talk with a loved one. How long? Two hours. My wife's loving this right now. She's over there. Every woman woman in this church is like, two hours, yes! And every man's like, show me where that's at in the Bible. (laughs) You know, I mean, two hours. But I'm going to admit, I know that's what I need. I need to take more time to have a healthy conversation and just with no agenda, just talk with a loved one. And you know, it's fun. You know, I I tell you, because I'm so familiar with my wife, I tend to neglect her more. I mean, it's my sinful bent, yes, but it's also just um, I'm with her all the time. So, but I can go to New Orleans and talk to my dad for hours and hours and hours. And I need to, you know, my wife will come back. She goes, I wish we could talk like that. And she's right. And so I need to take more time. Okay, not two, maybe an hour then. If Compromise in between. That's why I said two, ladies, because at least you'll get an hour out of him. Amen? Number five, buying a gift for a friend. Just buying a gift for a friend. You know, you're at Walmart and you're shopping around and you just think, you know, I think so-and-so would like that. I love it when, when somebody remembers that I love peanut M&Ms and you know, comes back and buys me a little pack of peanut M&Ms or Reese's peanut butter cups and just says, I was just thinking about you, preacher. I'm just, no, listen, don't everybody go out and buy me Reese's peanut butter cups. I can't eat them all. Or I love peanut butter. But here's the point I'm making. I know how it makes me feel. And honestly, it's not a big gift. Oftentimes, it's just the little gift, the little thought from a friend. And if we did that for somebody else, what a difference it would make. It's the simple things in life. A poll recently was taken, one in three adults say, think about this, one in three adults say that they would accept a smaller paycheck in exchange for having a simpler lifestyle. Sometimes less is more. Choose simple pleasures. That's what the early church seemed to do. Number four, the fourth characteristic of simplicity is this. Prioritize worship. Prioritize worship. Look at Acts 2.47 just for a moment. And just the first two words. Time out after the first two words. Praising God. Time out. Stop there. You say, what's that got to do with anything? That's worship. Praising God. 
This is what the early church spent their time doing, just praising God. By the way, did you know that this is why we were created to worship our God? We were made to worship, sometimes with music, sometimes with Scripture, sometimes with words. But worship should be an everyday thing, every day. Not just rush to the church five minutes late, slam the car door, run in the church, find a seat, throw my hands up in the air and say, I'm worshiping. No, that's not it. We can worship God all the time in our cars. My wife makes her car a sanctuary. Trust me. She'll pull up into the driveway, and as soon as the garage door, you know, shuts, it's like you can hear a concert going out in the garage. It's so loud. I'm like, honey, she goes, I'm just, you know, it's how it's, Glorianne loves it, you know. Worship music all the time. Our homes should be filled with praise and worship to our almighty God in our cars, our small groups. Sometimes I'll hear Chloe in the back room, you know, She's been working on her violin, and she's back there playing the violin or the piano or the guitar or whatever she's into at the moment, and then she'll start singing. And the other day she came out and she said, Dad, I wrote a new worship song. And she sang the worship song to us, or the song. She actually was a song. It was sweet. It could have been, I think it could have been applied as a worship song. It was beautiful. And she sang it to us on the bed, and we teared up a little bit. And you know what? I sat there, and after she left the room, I thought, now, that is what it's all about. You know, Chloe's birthday, I think, is Monday, if I'm not mistaken, Tuesday. And, you know, Chloe, I could buy you a gift. I could go out and spend a lot of money, and I could say, you know what, honey, here's this gift. Or maybe what I need to do is reprioritize how I look at Chloe's birthday and maybe just spend some time with her. Maybe just take her out on a date. And just talk about life. I reckon that might sound a lot simpler, but I bet it would mean more to her. You see, these are the things I'm trying to get us to think of, because I know how weak I am sometimes at this. We were made to worship Jesus. Let's get out of complexity, and let's get into simplicity. My final thought, and I'm done. Number five, the fifth characteristic of simplicity. Look at it in verse 47 on the screen. Here it is. Praising God and having favor with all the people. Here it is. Here's the fifth characteristic of simplicity. And the Lord added to the church, or rather to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Another translation that I've memorized is, he added to the church daily. Same thing, such as were being saved. Here's my point. Fifth characteristic. Watch God work. Watch God work. Look, church, can I tell you something about the supernatural work of God? Is you won't, look, everything I'm saying right now about building the church, you will not find this in the latest, greatest church growth book. Because they're going to tell you, start Awanas, start another program, start something else. That's what I thought for years. I thought church growth was all about starting something else, giving everybody something else to do. This is how you grow the church. Let's just make it more busy. Can I tell you, God doesn't need us to work hard. He's already working behind the scenes. As we live simpler lives, as we rid ourselves of all the distractions, and as we, as we decomplicate our lives, God's able to do more in our church. 
He's the one who gives the increase. Let's just be obedient. Let's just be faithful. This morning, I I know you're never going to send me a text again, honey, because I'm reading all your texts to the church. But this is so good. She said, praying for you. I'm excited for this sermon, expecting change for me. I also wanted to let you know that I've appreciated the fact that you're working on changing your Saturday schedule a bit more. I actually took a 30-minute nap yesterday. That's like the first Saturday nap in 20 years. It's crazy. It's pretty good, too. I might try to get next week. (laughs) I've noticed that I've been praying that you would be able to find out what God wants your Sabbath to look like. God has made it for us and for our bodies and minds. Lately, I've been finding out more and more what he wants from me. He wants me to be in his presence. I think that is what Sabbath is all about. You are not Jesus. You're human. He made Sabbath for man. Praying you will be able to embrace it even more without feeling lazy. It isn't laziness. It's obedience. I love you. I want you to be around for a long time. Satan can use being busy for God as a way to hurt us. He does for me. He taught me that at 40 when I got sick. Praying for the Spirit to use you today. I did tell you our Bible study was on Simplicity Friday. I'll be cleaning out my closet after my exam. (laughs) I'm excited about that. I'm also asking God to help me clean out my drawers and rid me of my piles. Hallelujah. I want to live a more simple life. <laughs> That's great. Now, those are such so small compared to the things I need to get rid of my life of, honey. Piles in a closet compared to what I need God to do in my life this morning. Whew, I wish that was all I had to work on. But, you know, this is my prayer for the church. Is that as we look to the next Sunday, not the next year. You say, Pastor... 30 years is a long time, so what do you think? How much longer do you think you're going to be around? Hmm. Today. Today. I just just want today to be the best Sunday we've ever had. I'm not looking to compare today to last Sunday. You say, oh, how can you compare this to Easter? I'm not going to worry about Easter. That was last week. And I'm not going to worry about next Sunday. I'm just going to enjoy today. And I believe that as you and I will look at what God is doing in our church And God is working, church. I'm seeing it. And you know why I'm seeing it? Because I'm slowing down. And I'm seeing things that I wasn't seeing before. Before, I was going from one thing to the next. It was like my life was cluttered with so many things I couldn't enjoy what God was doing. But now that I'm slowing down and letting God work, I'm realizing God does some really cool stuff and he doesn't always need my help. It's incredible. I just wrote down a few things. Yesterday, the house of prayer. In the last two weeks, we've had about seven people come to know Christ as their Savior. And so we're going to baptize most, if not all of them, next Sunday. We had a packed house for the children's choir this past week. I mean, church was full. Our Gospel Light Christian School has a waiting list. Our principal told me that we're even having church members call to enroll their children. And we're having to tell them, look, we're full. It's the largest our Christian school has ever been in the history of our Christian school. Our college has been accredited, and now we're adding more disciplines, and we're praying that God would send us more ministry students as we begin to kind of reclaim that vision for our college as it was the reason why we started it. This week, we got a $15,000 check in the mail from a total stranger who lives in California. Jeff called me and said, hey, preacher, you know this guy? And he told me his name. I said, I barely remember him from like 15 to 20 years ago. It was just like a check inside an envelope. That's all. 
It was made out to 516 Third Street. That hasn't been our address in 17 years. No note, no nothing. I said, Jeff, we got to send this back. No, I didn't. <laughs> we deposited it, and then I wrote him a thank you letter and told him, I don't know who you are, but thank you. It's God. God's building his church. This week I had two conversations of reconciliation with people. Bible studies are taking place. Discipleship is going on. Are we enjoying watching God work? Are we too busy to miss it? And by the way, in case you're sitting out there, and I'm not saying you are, but if you are thinking, yeah, but I know you're right. We could do better. I get it. We could do a lot better. But could we just enjoy what God is doing? Just enjoy what God's doing and how God's working and how God's moving. And let's all move towards simplicity. You know what I don't like, church? I never have. My family will laugh when I say this. I don't like buffets. I've never liked a buffet. I only go to buffets when I preach at another church and the pastor says, we're going to Golden Corral. And I go, okay. I hate Golden Corral. Sorry. If you work for Golden Corral, it's like you walk in and there's like 17,000 choices. And I want every whit of it. I'm like, so I start piling it up on my plate. 500 choices, the best. But then you get to the desserts. Hallelujah. And I get back to the table and my plate looks like one mound of nothing. But it's everything. And I, and I don't really enjoy it because it all just is kind of running it. And at the end of the meal, I'm like, oh, I'm sick. Just give me in and out. I'll take a number one, a number two. I'll take a number three. Just give me a simple menu. Just put a couple things on my plate and let me savor every bite. You know, church, I think that's what we need to do with our schedules and our lives is We need to declutter our lives from everything that's robbing us of truly fulfilling things that really matter. And so today I ask you, if if you're here today and you would say, Pastor, I'm with you, I'm getting it, then join me, pray for me, I'll pray for you, and let's ask God with whatever time he has left that we have more of a simple church, like the early church. And then those of you that don't know Christ as your Savior, can I remind you that the gospel is simple? That you don't have to know a lot of Bible to be a Christian. You don't have to be, go to college or be a theologian or be introduced to reading the whole Bible. Really, it's simple. The Bible says that believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins and believe on him for your salvation. There's nothing you can do. There's not works of righteousness. There's nothing you can, you can do to, to prove yourself deserving of it. It's something he has already done, and he's done it all. Jesus paid it all. And this morning, if you're sitting in the building and you would say, I need to be saved, I want you to know you can be saved today. It's not church membership. It's not baptism. It's putting your faith in the one who died for your sins. And we welcome you to come forward if you'd like to and accept Christ this morning or even where you're seated, however the Spirit would move you. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for what you're doing in our church and thank you for working in my life, in my heart. 
Father, I didn't come this morning with anything other than just a broken vessel. That's who I am this morning. I'm broken, but I'm thankful, God, that the potter knows how to heal and fix the vessel. And so, God, would you continue to mold me and make me, even after 30 years of pastoring the same church, into the man of God that you desire me to be. May I take more time for the simple, important things in life. Father, continue to work in my heart and our hearts. And I pray that Gospel Light would continue to grow to be a biblical community, much like we learned in the book of Acts. I love you and I love our people. Move and work and save souls. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand, shall we?